a couple of weeks. I don't know how long the Lord have us to deal with this, but uh, I was uh, I was preaching in a tent meeting a few weeks ago down in uh, Ashborough, Hebrews 13, I don't think I told you the chapter, and uh, the daughters of Calvary were there singing, and in one of their songs, uh, it, the statements made that song, I left it at the altar, left it at the altar. And uh, when, they, when they made that statement, I thought, man, there's a lot of things over the years that I left at the altar. You know, and I, I got to thinking about the altar. And uh, I got to looking at it a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's odd. The altar is, uh, the word altar appears 364 times in your Bible makes it one of the most oft-used nouns in the entire Word of God. And, uh, and yet, I, I, it seems like I've not heard a lot of preaching just on or teaching just on the altar. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I went to study on it, I thought, well, I, I don't have a book that I know of. I have thousands of volumes, maybe 10,000 volumes of books. And so uh, I went through my digital library and couldn't come up with a book and looked through my physical library and couldn't come up with a book. So I started Googling. You know, that's what you do when you run out of all your other options. You Google. And I found one little old book, one little old book on the altar, and I ordered it. And uh, really, it's not much good, to be honest. But I got to thinking with all of that uh, in... Uh, all of them times that the word altar is mentioned in the Bible, why we don't study on a little bit. So I got studying on it, and uh, like I said, over the next few weeks, I just try to bring some things out that the Lord is showing me uh, as I preach a little bit on allowing the altar to alter you, allowing the altar to alter you. You know, some of the greatest things that have ever happened to me happened at the altar. Uh, it's been a, it's really a highlight of the Christian life, the altar is. But in our day and age, now we do pretty good here. I, I appreciate y'all being responsive to the preaching and we do pretty good about using the altar. But in our day and age, there's a lot of people that never see the need to use the altar. And I can't help but wonder how they advance in their Christian life having never used the altar. Uh, those times I need to get an altar. Uh, I remember hearing Brother Billy tell one time, said he'd preached a revival meeting and said these two old ladies that were sisters. And one of them got up and come got in the altar. And she got done praying and she stood up and looked at the other old lady and she said, all right, Millie, Get in here, you've been into it too. <laughs> and uh, so we could all at some point use the altar. Let's read one verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter number 13, verse 10. Here's what Paul says. We have an altar. Thank God for that. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. 
For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now, I'm not going to really delve into what Paul is talking about in verse 10. We'll get to that in a later message. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. (laughs) But he says here that you and I, those of us that live in the grace age, the church dispensation, you and I have an altar that is superior to the altars of the Old Testament. I thank God for it tonight. So I want to just kind of give you an overview of some of the things the Lord has shown me this week on the altar as I've been studying on it. I'll just give you an overview of a few things, and I hope it'll be a blessing to help to you. I'm not going to preach very long. I got, out of, I got out of work yesterday at 3, jumped in my car, drove to Maryville, Tennessee, preached there, jumped back in the car and drove home after midnight, got up at 6 this morning and went back to work. Uh, so uh, I'm ready for bed here in just a little bit. It ain't going to get very dark. No, Brad's going to be asleep. Uh, but I'm not going to preach very long tonight, but I do want to share just a few thoughts with you, just kind of like I said, as an overview on the altar. Now, there's, uh, I'm going to point out a few things that the altar was used for in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of altars. I mean, uh, practically from the beginning, uh, all the way through the Old Testament, men build altars. And you know why? Because man has a desire to meet with God and the altar, uh, above everything else, is a place where, a, where man can meet with God. The word altar means to be lifted up from off the ground. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Calvary was an altar. I'm not going to deal with that tonight, but we sung that song about Calvary. And can I just take time out of the outline tonight and say, thank God for the altar of Calvary. And that brings me to my first point. An altar was a place where the sacrifice was slain. In the book of Leviticus chapter number 1, God begins to lay out the, uh, the order of the tabernacle. And there just inside the eastern gate of the tabernacle is the brazen altar. It's a huge square box. It had a ramp up to it on one side. And night and day, man would bring their, uh, their offering, their bullock or their sheep or what, their turtle dove or whatever offering they were bringing. They would bring it into the tabernacle and without fail, night and day, they would lay that altar, that sacrifice there on the altar and the smoke would rise toward God and you could not proceed on any further toward the Lord without going by the altar and it was a picture of Calvary and boy there's a lot of different ways that I could preach on that and how's a picture of Calvary but let me just say this, the altar was a place where something that was alive went to die. Boy, I got a hold of that. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And boy, 
for all my mind got to thinking about the use of the altar here at the at the church and how many times in my life something was alive in my life that didn't belong there and I'd get under conviction about it and start toward the altar and the altar was a place where I brought something in my life that was alive that needed to die and I would lay my body out as a living sacrifice on the altar and just like the brazen altar I would bring something that was alive and I would kill it on the altar and I would leave feeling much freer and able to serve God. Thank God for the altar. It's a place of sacrifice. It's probably the primary application throughout the Old Testament. We see it again and again that the altar was something that something, it was something where you offered something alive and it died. Now, here in just a few Wednesdays, or I may even preach it on a Sunday, we'll talk about Calvary as an altar. Oh my, Jesus as an altar. Think about that sacrifice. So it's a place of sacrifice. I told you not to preach long. It's a place where sacrifice was, uh, sacrifice was slain. But get this, it was a place where the saints worshipped. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll find the patriarchs building altars. Anybody know where the first altar was built? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Anybody got a guess? The first altar was built. Well, let me give you a hint. Genesis 8. Genesis 8 is the first altar. The first altar that was ever built in the Bible was built by Noah when he got off the ark. We're not, whether they had an altar and it just wasn't recorded prior to Genesis 8, we don't know. But the first altar that is recorded in the Bible was when uh, Noah got off the ark and said, thank God I made it and built an altar. And there the Bible says he worshiped God. Now I can show you instance after instance after instance where those patriarchs met with God and those places that they met with God, they built an altar. And there they worshipped him. I thought about Abraham there in Genesis 12. And how that when God gave him his great covenant with Abraham, what did Abraham do? The only thing he knew to do, he built an altar. I thought about how that Isaac, when he was there at Beersheba in in Genesis 26, and he met with God. Uh, what did he do? He built an altar. Uh, Jacob, he went back to Bethel in Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 35. What did Isaac do there? He built an altar. Uh, it, they worshiped around the altar. And I'm going to tell you something that we don't do enough of. And that is worship around the altar. You know, most of the time the altars in our lives or for when sin comes in. And I'm going to deal with that here in just a minute. But those men in the Bible, they build altars to worship God. You know, sometimes it's the right thing for you to do. And we've got some, uh, some folks that do that. And boy, I appreciate it. And it's right. Sometimes when the Holy Ghost gets to moving, it's good to wave our hands. Sometimes it'd be good for some of y'all to shout. Some of it, some of y'all ought to testify, but sometimes it's good just to get in the altar and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of the sweetest worship that I've ever done has been at the altar. 
How many really, let me ask you this, how many really important things have happened in your life at the altar? I thought about how for all of these patriarchs, the altar became a mile marker of places that they had been and they commemorated that time with God by being at the altar. Really, when God meets with us, we ought never allow God to meet with us, but what we don't spend time at the altar thanking Him for meeting with us and worshiping Him. Let me say this, we've got this big old altar. I thank God for it, and it's always open. we got a big altar. You can make your way. I remember one time Randy Bain said that there was a lady that came in the church, and she said, Preacher, I'd like to lay my tongue on the altar. He said, well, we only got 16 feet. <laughs> he said, I'm not sure if it'll fit or not. But we've got this big old altar and an opportunity. But you ought to have altars in your life. There ought to be a place. It might be in a closet. It might be in the woods. It might be, but you ought to have a place where you have an altar, somewhere that you can spend time with God, uh, somewhere that you have a place uh, that you worship the Lord even outside of the church. The altar is a place of worship. I love seeing people use the altar. I love it. When they get out of their seat, they begin to use the altar. It was a place where the saints worship. Then let me say this. It was a place where the sin was acknowledged. And you know, I told you about that brazen altar in the tabernacle. And the way that tabernacle is laid out, there's seven pieces of furniture. Uh, as you come in the eastern gate, there is that brazen altar. As you pass it, on the left-hand side is that brazen laver. It's a picture. There's Calvary, and then there's the Word of God. And after a man goes to Calvary, his very next stop ought to be the Word of God. And in that laver, they could see themselves, and you can see yourself in that Bible. And in that laver, there was an opportunity to wash and clean, and you can get washed and cleaned in the Bible. And it's the only piece of furniture in all the tabernacle that God did not give a measurement for. Every other piece is measured down to the inch, but the brazen laver, there's no uh, measurement given for it, and that's, the, that's because the Word of God is endless. Uh, and those two pieces of furniture were out in the outer court, before you would get into the presence of God, you had to go by Calvary and you had to go by the Word of God. And let me say this to you, uh, my friend, if you're going to get to God, you got to deal with your sin first, amen. Uh, and that's done at the altar uh, through the conviction power of the Word of God. Uh, and when sin comes back in our lives, uh, we ought to acknowledge it at the altar. Something about it. There's something about when God points something out in your life and you get up out of your pew and walk to the altar. People say, well, I can do it in my seat. I can pray in my seat. And I understand you can pray in your seat, but there's something about getting up and making your way to the altar. It's acknowledging, Lord, I need help in this area. Lord, I've got this sin in my life 
Lord, this is something that I need to deal with. The Bible tells us that we should confess our faults one to another. And a way of you confessing your faults, you don't necessarily have to get up and say, well, I, I listen to music I shouldn't listen to this week. And I told six lies and I said two cuss words. Boy, that's a rough week, ain't it? That's a bad week. You don't have to get up and say all that. You confess your faults by using the old. But all you're saying really is, I'm human. I live in flesh. I got problems just like everybody else got problems. But the devil tells us that other people are going to look down on us if we use the altar and we ought to be ashamed of it. But really, uh, you ought not to be ashamed of it at all because at least you're trying to do something about your problem and you're making your way to, to the, that other crowd's just sitting back there not doing anything about it. They got problems. They just not do anything about it. That's right. And so there is, it's a place where we can come and we can acknowledge our sin. Think about this. The altar was a place where salvation's joy was restored. All through the book of Judges. All through the book of Judges. It's, that's, Judges is such an interesting read. That Israel would sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. And then they'd get a judge that would bring them out of that. And the, one of the first things they would always do, build an altar. Gideon built altars. Uh, Samuel built altars. Others constructed altars. Judges 6.24, the Bible says, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet at Orpha. And that name Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is peace. You know, it's nothing like using the altar and having God restore unto you the joy of salvation and giving you peace in your heart. Ain't nothing like it. That don't happen sitting back there in your seat. It happens by using the altar. Allowing the altar to alter us. I thought about this. It's a place where supplication is made. In Exodus chapter number 30, the plans are laid out an altar inside the holy place that's called the altar of incense. And on that altar of incense, the, they would burn incense and that smoke would go up to heaven and it was a picture of prayer continually going up to God. The altar is a place of supplication. John R. Rice said that every failure in the Christian's life is a prayer failure. And I believe that. It's a failure to pray. But our altars, what happened to the weeping on the altars? What happened to people that stayed on the altar? Folks that would pray until they felt like they heard from heaven. What happened to the prayer rooms? I mean, I can remember when I was a young preacher, I never missed prayer room. I never missed it. And boy, the men would gather in there and if you missed prayer room, you always knew when it got started if you were out in the sanctuary because you could hear them. It sounded like a pack of dogs after a bear. I mean, they was in there begging God to do something. What happened to that? 
That's just every Wednesday night we have prayer meeting, prayer room, 15 till, every Sunday morning, 15 till. It's always the same four or five guys. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we got four or five faithful guys that'll go to the prayer room. But what happened to the prayer rooms being full? And men in there praying, women together praying. What happened to that? You see, there ought to be altars of supplication. I tell you, we become way too comfortable. We become way too comfortable. So we've got everything we need. We don't have to pray that God bring the crops in. We don't have to pray over a sick young and just cart it off to the doctor. We got all of these modern conveniences and it's killed our prayer life. That altar was a place of supplication. I wonder tonight if eternity for your neighbors depended on your prayers for them. Would there be any of your neighbors that would go to heaven? Any of your family that would go there? Now, if we went to Mara and they said, you've got cancer, boy, we'd go to praying. Rightfully so. I think about what's going on with Samuel and all of us are praying about that. I hope you are. I hope you are. Surely you're not just talking about how terrible that is, how hard they've got it, and you're not taking it to God. Surely not. Surely you're praying about that, right? We've got people that are lost and on their way to hell right here in our community. Where are the prayer altars? I can remember not too many years ago up in the mountains, you'd hear men praying. I've told you a thousand times I'd hear John Cooper praying on Saturday afternoons. It was hardly a Saturday afternoon ever went by. I'd come by here to study and you could hear John up in the mountains praying. What happened to those prayer meetings? What happened to young men that would get a desire to pray and get other young men together and go way back up in the mountains to pray? The altar was a place of supplication. It's a place where we met with God. The problem is we've got too many other things to do these days to meet with God. And that's the reason those men in those churches had power. Had power because they'd spent time in prayer. It was a place of supplication. Boy, there ought to be times when we gather around this altar and weep and cry. There ought to be times when prayer gets broke out on the altar and lasts a little more than our usual minute and a half. Some of the sweetest times, I tell you, I'm just preaching. Some of the sweetest times that I can remember in 25 years of pastoring, I'd call on someone to pray. I think about Leon Burnett. Leon's dead and gone, but I'd call on him to pray, and sometimes he'd get to praying, and God would get in it, and the glory would fall during the prayer. And he'd just pray, and, and then he'd, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he'd pray on and pray on and pray on. I think about preacher James Beaver. Just to hear him pray. I took the boys up there the week before he died just so that he could pray over them one last time. And the glory just filled the room from the prayer of the old man of God. Prayer. Prayer. It was a place of supplication. We've lost it. 
We've lost that. So it's a place where the saints' joy was restored. It was a place of supplication. But listen to this. For everything the Lord has, the devil always makes a counterfeit. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll find altars to Baal. Places where people worshipped. Did you know the devil has altars today? I believe one of the chief altars that the devil has, we all carry right around in our pocket. And we worship it with our time through media. Oh yeah. I can remember them preachers. They'd preach on TV. Brother Ellis, Brother Ellis never wanted a TV. I remember I'd take him to the radio station. This is before everybody had cable. We'd go by a house that had an antenna. And he'd say, the devil's in that house, Bradley. Look yonder, he's his tail sticking out. And I can remember thinking, why? That's so, you know, he's just no fogey. He don't understand. 